Welcome to Birch Tree Studios, the home of 1013 Publications. This is 40 Below Zero, an international show about chronic illness hosted by two guys with MS. I'm your co-host Nick, and with me as always is Terry. We're so glad all of our warriors and supporters are here with us, so let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome back to the studio for season two. Uh, we've moved locations, kind of. We're now uh, Birch Tree Studios, as you've heard. Terry, how'd you enjoy the move? You doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, it was humid as hell the last couple of days, but today is great. I'm feeling great today. And uh, I'm really excited to announce our guest today. Today, we have Laura Santos. She is basically like my older sister. She has kept me grounded through my dramatic escapades. You know, MS is so shit, but the one good thing about MS is it's connected us together. It's connected strangers and made them into family. And that's the, the best thing about this whole MS community too. Very true. Laura, I'm so blessed to have you as part of my family. I'm so grateful that you and I have volunteered in the same institution, whatever you want to call it. So please tell me, how are you feeling today? And don't lie. Me lie to you, Terry? No, I can't get away with lying to Terry. I know it's on Zoom and we're, God, how far away? I'm in Calgary, Alberta, and he's out in Ontario, from, you know, we're too far away. How am I doing today? It is 30 degrees, hotter than stink. I've come down to my basement with fans, drinking lots of water, trying to stay cool, sitting in a tank top. It's hot, just throws the MS out of kilter totally understand that and you know what's funny i said institution i should have said organization but whatever anyway you're from calgary that's right i first met you when you taught me how to use zoom that's where i first met terry and now cripes i'm doing three Zoom meetings a week almost it seems but terry taught me how to use zoom on a, uh, what's this thing called? This is called a, um, a notebook. It's a Chrome notebook. So it's all with a finger, which is really tricky. I've got a shake in my hand. So if I go to tap something once, it ends up being double tap. You know, one thing about Laura is you don't ask her for an honest opinion, because damn it, she'll give you an honest opinion. <laughs> if you say to her, hey, what did I do wrong? She'll say everything. You're a mess today. <laughs> I'm like, oh, be nice. <laughs> no, no. She means it with all love. That's why I call her my older sister. I, I, I want to know. There's a few things even I don't know. Maybe you told me in the past. I'm just curious. When were you diagnosed? So officially on paper, on a book in someone's office in 1986. So I would have been 27 years, 26, 27 years of age, whatever month that would have been and I like a lot of people probably had symptoms you know months or years before that and didn't even know it and that was the official says yeah you probably got it is that okay now what what was the official symptom that put it on paper oh my gosh and again, probably lucky in the sense of the first symptom was my vision went. My vision in one of my eyes, it was an optic I had had all sorts of sensory stuff going on with me, 
for God, a year, a couple of years, maybe I used to run. So I would get that belt tightening around my thighs, my legs, feels like everything was tight. Feels like your, your bra's tight, your pants tight. But anyway, so it was finally an optic aritis and he did something really quite squeamish to fix it really quickly. And if people are squeamish, don't listen to it. But it was a steroid, but it wasn't an inje- it was not an injection into my arm. It was in behind the eye. That sounds like yeah, I can see why you said if you're not if you're squeamish, because the thought of a needle near an eyeball uh, only appeals to people who like to get tattoos in their eyes, I guess. But it <laughs> saved my vision. I mean, it you know brought it back and it worked, and then I took it from there and went forward trying to figure out what to do about this. Now, what, 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 if anything was available to you at that time, or did they just say, good luck? Because I was considered healthy, I was walking, working, driving, skiing. There was nothing out there that would do anything because they all had really bad side effects. And that was back when they had what they used to call the ABCs, Apinex, Betaserone, and Copaxone. Can't believe Copaxone is that old, but yes. And yeah, there was nothing. Like they didn't even have MRIs. God, I sound like I'm from the Stone Age, but yeah, they didn't <laughs> even have MRIs. <laughs> because my eye had done this weird thing and my vision was off, they wanted a just a regular x-ray of my skull through the optic foramen. So there's a little tiny pinhole where your optic nerves go through and cross and they want to make sure there wasn't any plaque or arthritis in there, but that's where, that's how it came about. First of all, a little more of a heads up for me, please. Cause yes, that is squeamish for me. Needles in the eye. Jeez. <laughs> Now, when you first got diagnosed, did you know what MS was? Oh, sad to say I did, Terry. I was, yeah, this would have been in the, this was in the mid 80s. I had moved to Calgary in 81. And lo and behold, I'm working on a neurology neurosurgery floor. And I see people coming in, young women mainly, a few men in horrible stages of MS. And this is before drugs were around. This is steroids were the only thing other than the ABCs. So yes, I knew what MS was. And that's what I saw. I thought I was going to be. Do you think it's scarier to be diagnosed nowadays or when you were diagnosed? Because back then, like you said, you're working at a neurological something, blah, blah, blah. And you saw people coming in and that's all you knew what MS was. That would have freaked me out if I found out I was getting MS. It was freaky. It was not a good, it was not a good, I thought, oh my God, this is horrible. This is not where I want to be. And uh, thank goodness the guy that finally diagnosed me said, you know, I think Laura, you're going to be okay. And just the way he sort of, it's not, it wasn't a flip comment. It was like, it was a very genuine, it was a very casual and I, I worked with him. Actually, that's even weirder because I worked with this neurologist and he said, you know, Laura, I think you're going to be okay. So I'm 63 now, or four. I know I'm 64 now, so I'm doing pretty good, I think. Nice. Awesome. I was about to ask you, how are you doing today compared to then? Hey, awesome. I walk, I drive. 
uh, yeah, I tripped and fell last week and and what? up my thumb. And so I have a fractured dislocation of my left thumb as of last week. And that's the first sort of big injury that I have had since my diagnosis. And that's from MS? I mean, from your no balance? Yeah, I kind of think so. I, it's that foot drop. Mm-hmm. And it was a crack in the sidewalk, you know, step on a crack. Break your mother's back. Broke my thumb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yeah, I tripped on the sidewalk and went flying down like superwoman down the sidewalk, skidding my knees, my elbows. Uh, I think I sometimes look like a 10-year-old little boy or girl with Band-Aids on their wrists, on their elbows and knees. Yeah. Did anybody see you fall down? Were you alone? Nobody. Nobody saw me. Nobody saw me. And I got up and got back in my car, didn't even get to where I wanted to go and had a crooked thumb, drove home and got my husband to take me to the hospital. And nobody would have ever known about it unless you brought it up, Tara. Thanks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's right. I got pictures to show too, if you want. <laughs> you, you don't know, Laura, she's always smiles. And I hate to say this right here, but she, her partner, her husband, has another issue in his life and these guys are smiles all smiles i've never seen any grumpiness from these two so yeah my husband okay yeah i know yeah he has no issue with this my husband seven, eight years ago now uh, had a below the knee amputation on his right leg and uh today i dropped him off at the airport because he's getting on a flight to go to reykjavik Iceland for a cruise with his brother. So the amputation has not slowed him down. We've outfitted all of our vehicles. We've had the house fixed up. We've got all the bars that we need. Yeah, it hasn't slowing us down. We still go. We still keep going. Does he get more attention than you? Oh my God. See, we're first born. Who gets more attention? I don't know. You got to be careful on that question. That's, and thank God we seesaw back and forth because something will happen to him. And then months later, something will happen to me and back. And so it seesaws back and forth, this attention thing that you bring up. Hey, Nick, I think we should have Al on the show one day. <laughs> Interesting stuff. Yeah. Them, I mean, it is sure. now that we're in season two and, and everyone's invited. Uh, why not? Awesome. He does enjoy listening. He listened to Tripping on Air and he did appreciate listening to her friend. Uh, uh, Alex, you're talking about Alex. Thank oh. you. Yes. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's a caregiver. That's right. You're a caregiver. You're a caregiver to him. I know he's fine and I've seen him. He's okay, but we both are. That's really cool. That's really cool. So for. As long as you've been aware of uh, all this MS, how do you feel about the changes that you have actually seen from working the floor to being a patient to now being an advocate and a facilitator? Um, Is it encouraging? Is there jealousy? Is it like, man, I wish we had this back then, that kind of stuff? Or 
It is very encouraging. People that are diagnosed now, God, they don't have to be as afraid as I was or freaked out. It's about getting diagnosed as soon as you can and having your family, having yourself first, pay attention to your body, having your family physician and whomever else you can find to listen to you and say, this isn't normal and to find the the exams or x-rays to be done that need to be done to get the diagnosis so and all the medications that are out there now um, all they're doing though is putting a stopgap in they're not curing anything they're delaying the inevitable which if I sound like a downer that's it's it's delaying it and it's making it much healthier for a lot of people to live a longer life I would love to see a prevention for this disease. Are you going to cure it? I don't know if you're ever going to cure it in my lifetime. Yet, if we can prevent this, I think we, then I think we're ahead of the game. Now, what about that um, article that I sent? I think I sent it to you. The one about the they've, they've, uh, scientists have pinpointed the genetic marker that says whether it's going to be a quicker, like it's an early predictor of the arc of the speed of the progression. I didn't send that to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, I have seen that. It was, yes, it was like a little bar. Yes, I did see it. Yes. I don't know. So scientists have now identified a genome that is common in people who had rapid progression of the disease. It's not a definite, like if you have it, it's going to happen, but they're now saying, if you have this marker, there's a high likelihood that it's going to be faster than the guy next to you or the gal next to you. Um, so again, not a cure, but definitely a, you know, a, a potential source of hope for a lot of people who get diagnosed. That it is. Yeah. Progressive MS is a scary one for a lot of people. And I don't know how they can figure that one out. They look at you. I, I truly don't know. I think it's based on symptoms, how they figure out progressive and the, the trajectory, there's a good word for someone with MS to get their tongue and their teeth and mouth around trajectory. See, I didn't even say it the second time. Trajectory. Thank, Thank you. you. Just, just practicing. Yeah. So we don't know where we're going to go. Everybody is so different. The snowflake moniker that was given to I first off, I'm be I'm really revealing my ignorance here is I truly thought it was because Canada has a lot of MS and it was because we were north. We had snowflakes. And then all oh, for God's sakes, Laura. That's what I thought the snowflake thing was. Oh boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was what I'm wondering what DMTs are you on? You, you have you been on any TMTs? I know you talked about Avenix and all that. I went 30 years without any DMT. And in the middle of a pandemic, I had turned 60 and my neurologist says, Laura, there's this drug out there called Mavenclad. It's a bunch of pills. You take for a couple of months and then you stop and then you start my whole year again and you take them then. And I thought, okay, sure. What have I, and, and it truly was sort of what have I got to lose? It's like I was doing fine and I thought, okay, I feel strong. I can do this. And so I finished up my Maven clad a year and a half ago and I have my upcoming MRI the end of August to see 
what's the Mavenclad's done. We'll see. How long did you take Mavenclad for? It's a two-year program. You take it okay. one year, and then a year later, you take it again. And it's only like five pills one week and five pills another week. And then you wait a whole year, and you take them five pills and then five pills again. It is, it is such an easy uh, compliance drug. That's, it's, it's a very easy compliance drug. None of this getting in line and sitting at an infusion center and being ill before your infusion, feeling ill afterwards. And I just hear, I hear horror stories about infusions. That's what I hear. Well, speaking of horror story, I went to go get my Ocrevus infusion last week and I arrived at the infusion center only to find out that uh, my orders and reservation had yet to arrive and that the doctor who was prescribing, uh, my neurologist was on vacation for the week because you know it's the week of the 4th of July so naturally a lot of people are on uh, vacation and that the infusion center wouldn't do it unless he was available so come back next week so here I am uh, one week past when I'm supposed to have my infusion and I feel very run down Um, it's all of a sudden and very anxious because now I'm like I'm now in getting to the point where I have to get this medicine this week coming up, or I run the risk of rebounding into a, into a big flare up. So I, it's anxiety and anger. I, I don't know how you're not bitter from that. This is my fear of medication. It's not oh, the side effects. It's, you know, I want to make sure that the pharmacy is going to have it for me when I need it and not to tell me, Oh, sorry, we don't have any more. We're going to give you you know what I mean? This is anxiety at its most for me. Oh yeah. And, and don't get it. Don't get it misunderstood. I'm very concerned about the side effects of everything that I'm on. This is just higher on that list. <laughs> yes, of course. I so. can't imagine that frustration. And that's what I hear from others about. Yeah. You start to feel run down a couple of weeks before your actual date. So it tells me what's that doing to our brains. And then for a few weeks afterwards and to not get it for almost three weeks after and then people having to wait on their lab work because their lab work is doing this it's like chemotherapy you gotta have your luck you gotta have your your levels at a certain blood levels at a certain number yeah that was uh two years ago that was the reason that i ended up uh going in having to go in for a flare-up was because there was a a three-month gap in my medication and within that time i rebounded and had such a bad flare-up i couldn't see out of either eye um, my left eye was, was completely dark and my right eye was fuzzy. So it was like, now I'm ang- now the anxiety is through the roof because I'm like, am I, am I going to be blind for the rest of my life? You know, like, mm-hmm. so yeah, <laughs> for sure. That's anxiety at its most again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny how not funny, but a lot of the guests that we interviewed, their first symptom is the optic neuritis. That was not my first symptom. And if I had that as a first symptom, I don't know how I would have dealt with that. That would have scared the crap out of me. So Now, how it's been explained to me is because optic neuritis is so bad puns, but it's in your face. It's only two eyes. You only got one eye. Your vision goes. You can't drive. You can't see light, dark. It, so it's you go to a doctor because of that, or you go to somebody because mm. of that. You don't go to them because you got a numb fe- foot or a numb elbow or you got a headache. You, 
we all just sort of pass that off as okay i slept on it funny or i overdid my i overworked myself but because it is so in your face and they have studies they can do they can do a test to see if it's neuritis they have a way of figuring out exactly that it is optic neuritis it's a very easy um it's easy to diagnose it i'm trying to say yeah yeah absolutely and you and and you're right because everyone gets freaked out when your eyes are involved and and you nailed it like you don't go to the doctors if you have a numb finger or a, you know what i mean and me too in the beginning i had a numb like there was a part of my body that was numb in the side my waist something like that i think it was my butt cheek to be exact but anyway i was like oh well whatever until it spread through my whole left side of the body I'm yeah. like, okay, something's happening now. But it took that much for me to be like, I need to go to the doctors or the hospital. Heck, I had I had two years of the MS hug before I even, I didn't <laughs> even go. That's not even still the reason why I went to the doctor. <laughs> Shoot, so that. you have that banding thing too? Yeah, uh, it's it's right along the right along the bottom of my rib cage. Uh, yeah. and, and for the longest time, I thought it was the result of, um, so I used to, it, for my job, I would have to wear a ballistic vest. I would have to bulletproof, bullet resistant vest. I thought I was wearing that too tightly. And I, and I was like, oh, that must be causing pressure on my rib cage. And now I'm sore from that. And that wasn't the case. <laughs> but another friend of mine on Zoom, I've never met these people. He played in band in high school marching band and he played drums. So he would have three or four drums sitting on his... And it's, it's not, I'm not, not repeating your story, but somebody else said he played drums and that our drums supposed to make me feel like this. That's, I know they're heavy, but why are they sitting on my hips and making my hips and my waist numb? So there's been other people saying, why is this so hard to do? Yep. Way back in high school. Um, I, again, I, I was in marching band and the drum harness sits right above your pelvic uh, region. And I'm like, Hey, this thing is really digging in and, and it's causing my whole leg to go numb. Is that normal? It just so happened to coincide with these were just symptoms of uh, we spend a lot of time in the sun uh, for practices and we're out in the heat and humidity, you know, so all the things you're not supposed to do when you have or that can, you know, it flare you up, you shouldn't yeah. be doing. So, so I have that mess hug, but it's not painful and it's not what you guys go through. I do have it where it feels like it's a belt. And it's not tight. It just feels like a loose belt is yeah. up here above, you know, my chest. Mm -hmm. So when I first started getting it, I used to think my pants went up. I used to think somehow my pants went up and you know what I mean? So I would get Steve up and I- Steve Urkel. Yes, totally. And I'd put my thumbs in here and I'd try to pull it down. I'm like, oh, we're, huh? It felt weird, but it was never an agony. And then I mm -hmm. heard a lot of people have tightness where they can sometimes have problems breathing. And I feel guilty saying, oh, I had the MS hug too, because it wasn't torture. It was just awkward. Mm. No, it, uh, uh, early on in the diagnosis and even before it, it would get very painful to the point where I have to lay on the floor and like force myself to take a deep breath and hold it to make sure that I was breathing adequately because it would definitely shallow up my breath, mm. um, which was scary in and of itself. Cause you know, I'm like, I come home, I would take the vest off. I would take, you know, my, my uniform off. And then I would lay on the ground and be like, man, I can't breathe. So, and I probably should have gone then, but you know, that's what you're talking about. We just brush it off. Like, eh, I'll get over this not breathing thing. It's fine. <laughs> I, I got a question for Laura. 
um, kind of eh, just curious, what got you to start uh, volunteering? I've been volunteering, I think, from the very beginning and of the diagnosis and what's made me even more vocal, persistent, a thorn in people's sides is we need to educate people about the disease. We need people to be aware of what this disease is. I know what it is. You know what it is. But the general public don't know what it is. We need to make people aware. Awareness is the biggest thing from physicians to the general public and letting young people know that it's not a it's not a scary thing. There's lots out there. So yes, I am so into advocacy, education, telling stories and learning from others. I have learned so many things from all these Zoom con contacts that I've had and and sharing stories is amazing. Sharing our story is, is what's healthy. I, I started doing this in the middle of COVID. It saved my sanity for crying out loud. Volunteering saved my sanity doing Zoom classes. Mm -hmm. The thing I like is the more people we talk to, the more we hear the same themes and things over and over again. So that it's like, it's yes, it's unique to how each individual goes through it, but umbrella wise, it's all the same. We all deal with all those things. And the big one that you uh, were talking about uh, before we came on uh, was stress and oh, how, God. you know, and you're right. We don't talk enough about the stressors of our da uh, daily lives and how they impact us. I think, again, we poo-poo them off. We think, ah, that's nothing. I mean, when I was diagnosed, I had moved to Calgary. I'd left home, moved out here, cut the apron strings, said goodbye to mom and dad, and moved into an apartment all by myself. And I had, was diagnosed within a few years. Was it a little stressful on my own, trying to find an apartment, get a job? Yes. And then I was going to school, and I had more symptoms, and then got married, had other different symptoms and they'd come and go. So they're good, they're good stresses, bad stresses. Moving was a great thing I did. Uh, education, changing jobs was, was awesome. Get, I'm so happy I'm married, yet they're all amazing stress, stressors. Were you in a relationship when you got diagnosed? Were you, were you, did your spouse right now know that you had MS? I, just curious how that started. I told him, actually, I had been diagnosed a couple of years before we started dating, I think. Yeah. So he knew. Yeah. His family knew. And yeah, it was on the back of our mind. What do we want to do? He was all, he was all, he is retired. He's also a nurse. So he knew where the heck this disease could have gone. And he probably saw the horrible things that I, you know, that I imagined. And I'm not there, you know. I'm still, even with the splint on my hand, I'm still driving. I'm uh, going to try and get out to the garden. I can't cut the grass, can't push the lawnmower with this thing right now, but you know, I can. I had no idea he was a nurse as well, or he used to be a nurse. That's pretty cool. Don't, don't let me tell you the embarrassing story of me falling down in my washroom and me texting my local nurse, Laura here. <laughs> Saying, Laura, I'm on the floor right now and I'm really pissed off and she's laughing oh it's okay <laughs> she really comforted me it was crazy i remember those days i'll never forget just the support you give me really 
That's why I well, say you're like an to, older sister. I just sister. said to you, breathe, take a breath. It's nice and cold on the floor. You'll cool down after the warm <laughs> shower. It's cool on the tiles and you'll get your energy back and stand up. You're awesome. <laughs> See, oh. we're family. You have to support each other. We also, I have had so many emails and texts and Facebook stuff from all my Zoom folks, Zoom peeps, if you want to call them, about my risk is... It was, I was outed on one of, one of our last meetings is, and someone says to me, why has Laura got a cast on her hand? I thought, oh, for crying out loud. Gonna try and keep it quiet too, eh? Is, is it a cast right now? It's hard? No, the, well, it's, this is a, um, it's a splint. And I okay. just learned this, that I need the splint on so that when I go for an ultrasound of my thumb, right on the inside of my thumb, Mm -hmm. that we can take the splint off and make sure that 10 so the ultrasound will let me know if the tendon's been ripped and I need further surgery or another pin so right now there's a pin in there and I'm waiting for the ultrasound on Tuesday in a couple of days to tell me if I have more extensive injury so I can actually take this off I can baby it and look after it you haven't seen her hand or what it looked like when I saw it two days ago it mm -hmm. was blue it was that it was just yeah. not healthy looking. It, now it looks a lot better. No, it looks a lot better than I've what actually it used got to got wrinkles in the back of my hand now. No, it was a bit puffy. <laughs> so then the question that I have related to this little uh, fall incident, do you, what's your threshold for now? It's time for uh, something to help me walk around so that it don't happen a lot. Are you there yet or you're not? You're... Yeah, I'm okay. Did I, I mean, and interesting, I see another physician tomorrow afternoon and uh -huh. he's, going, he's going to ask me, were you wearing your foot splint? Uh, uh, don't I know and God he better not shame me because I wasn't wearing it half the time I don't half the time I do I had felt good I knew where I was going I felt rested and hydrated and cool and I thought okay I got this and I just and I didn't wear the splint and whether I tripped with that foot or the other foot I don't know so yes I don't use anything in the house here sorry and uh but outside walking in the neighborhood or at the mall or where if i do go out i have an a-linker and that's the three-wheeled yellow pedalless bike you'll have to look it up it's a cool thing so i don't know what an a-linker is you said it's a pedalless bicycle so you have to walk but it supports your backside your bottom you sit so on i'm sitting so it's a, a bicycle a three-wheel bicycle two big wheels in front and one little wheel on the back and it's called an overarching frame from the front to the back and it's a bicycle seat that i'm sitting on with handlebars in front with a brake and i walk and the coolest thing is of all the, all the comments I get from if I'm in the hospital or visiting, everybody says, well, at least you're move. I'm moving. I'm not sitting still in a wheelchair. I'm moving my legs around. I'm upright. I'm looking at people in their eyes. I'm not sitting low and looking at them in their belly button or at the crotch sort of thing. It's I'm upright. That's funny because when I'm in a line, everyone's ass is my face. I so know. It's, it's the worst. <laughs> 
I hate being so you need, So I have torso strength. I'm able to sit on the bicycle and, you know, walk and move. My husband's, he's got one too because he's got half a leg missing. And so he's taking it on the plane, on the cruise. And I've seen so many people on cruises with it too. That's a fantastic interim piece of mobility aid. So it's, you're not locked in the, like you said, you're still up, you're still moving, you're still moving. You're using everything that still works. It just keeps you from tipping over. That's the best thing. Extra, and I totally believe exercise is the best thing. I mean, there has to be, re, I mean, how do you do research and exercise but, uh, between doing Zoom exercise and meeting on Zoom? That kept my sanity, but the exercise, the movement, getting out and walking around, I don't sit still often. So moving and being physically active is what keeps this disease, I think, at bay a bit. Which is, which is funny because I only ever see you sitting because I only ever see you on these. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Someone no, I, did see me once on the treadmill. I did take this little thing into the, in, I have a gym behind me. I did have it on the treadmill one time. I've seen you walk around. I've been in these different programs with you where she does uh, her little movements and stuff. This at A-Linker, um, not that they uh, sponsored us to talk about it, but hey, if they did want to, please feel free to send us a couple. Um, affordable? Honestly, don't tell us price, but is it affordable or is it like a device that's no one's going to buy it? I, I think people, I think people will buy it because of what it, the freedom that it gives me. I would buy it. If I'd never seen it, I would buy it because I'm upright. It gives me the freedom. The, the way that the business is developed is to tell your story. Tell people what you would be doing if you um, could use this A-Linker. A lot of people are telling their stories about going to ball games with their kids or going to hockey or soccer. They're out with their kids, walking with their husband, holding hands, going down the, the beach, down, the, down to the waterfront. It's, it is a, it's a cool device to get people social. And the idea behind the yellow, it's a canary yellow bike, pedalless bike. The idea behind the color was to take the emphasis or the focus off me sitting on it and having to use it and onto the yellow bike and gee, tell me about the bike. Don't tell me about the disease. So I can tell people about this cool bike and in the end, tell them about why I use it. And does, have you found that to be the case? Do people come up and say, hey, what's, what's, what is that thing? They'd never seen one before. They keep saying you should put a motor on the back of it. Well, then I say, well, then I won't be able to use my legs. And their next question is how much is it? Well, it doesn't matter how much it is because go tell your story you can rent to own you can tell your story and launch a campaign and have friends and family donate to purchase this a-linker canadian designer right now made offshore hopefully in time it will be made on north american soil but right now it's made offshore and and we are not here to promote the a-linker just so everyone knows. No, but I think I think it is a unique, uh, is a unique mobility aid that not. I honestly I'd never heard of it until I was in the group where you and I believe someone else has one, um, and then I was like, wow, these are 
these are very available. Um, so yeah, like you said, it's they're just very unique and, and not everybody knows about them. So A-Linker. They're a very popular in the UK. Australia has a lot, but certainly the UK. The Netherlands has them a lot. There are a few here in the city here, but not many. So my husband has one. I know of two other people that have had it. I bought mine secondhand. My husband bought his from someone else secondhand who I met on Zoom who was selling theirs. So it's, again, another family. Hmm. Awesome. The other family that you bought it from, just curiosity, did they have MS or did they just have one? Yeah, because... she had MS and she was not able to walk with it. It depends on, again, how strong your torso is. Now, Kathy has a good strong torso, but it was the legs that she just couldn't get her knees to work it. Like you've got to be able to get yourself onto a bicycle seat and then walk. And some people just have a tough time learning how to use it. And it's a trial and error. You mm -hmm. learning how to sit on a bicycle seat and all the, all the little issues that go along with sitting on a bicycle seat. Okay. I have a real question for you. This uh, might be lengthy. It might be a lengthy answer to you. Uh, triggers. You're going to start thinking a mile a second now. What triggers? What's your main trigger? Do you get Do you get annoyed when someone says something to you? Do you get triggered when like What's your trigger in life? Because I worked in healthcare and I went to school and I see where healthcare is going now, it really triggers me the way healthcare is turning around. It's and the delays in things, the the, the way the staff talk to you, uh, how you're treated. It's so that's a big trigger. It's sad. It's sad for a Canadian system that healthcare is becoming a marketable business. I don't know if that's going to make sense or not. Well, I can tell you that it makes a hundred percent sense to me because we have, uh, I have experience with both uh, for-profit and not-for-profit healthcare systems. And it just so happens that the for-profit system is not doing very well right now. Um, and the not-for-profit systems are doing extremely well. Um, and I think you find, I mean, you know, working in the industry, you know that there's just bitter nurses and, and happy nurses and people who are there because the paycheck's okay. And there's there the people that are there to really make sure that they're impacting somebody's life. Um, I think you find that in any employment, but I think it's highlighted um, in healthcare, when because you're responsible for another person day in and day out, um, but yeah, I agree. I I feel like I feel like the healthcare system didn't really hasn't yet to really recover from the pandemic, and they're still in this space where overstaffed, overworked, no budget, or not overstaffed. You know what I mean? Overloaded, overworked, no budget. And they're just trying to do what they can. And it's hard to not get into a mentality of, we used to call it eight and skate. You just get in, do your eight hours and go home. And that's it. It feels like the care has been kind of, take, the wind has been taken out of the sails uh, a bit. Not the compassion's not there. Yeah. There's not uh, the, the compassion 
in some healthcare settings is not there. Right. Now, and we're not, we're not this, talking about, yeah. No, no. Throughout the week of this, this hand injury, I have had an amazing amount of care and I am so grateful for the work that they have done. And I thank them up and down. I just, I cannot get over the work that they've put into my hand. The, the thing that really sticks out to me and tell me if you've had a similar experience when I go to the doctor, I feel like the doctor spends more time looking at his laptop, taking notes than he does interacting with me. Uh, I don't know if it's the same way for you. You're probably given 45 minutes to see them. Hopefully they've reviewed your file when you walked in there and then they'll, some are pretty good. They'll actually look at you and talk to you and say, so what's going on now? It's more, what's the issue now, as opposed to don't give me six issues. Tell me what you want to see me now about and I'll try and fix that one. I don't, they're not going to try and fix six issues. Yeah, down here it's, um, you get, depending, you, I get 15 minutes. And luckily I have a rapport with my neurologist because I've been seeing him for eight years. So I don't have to go into the six issues. He has a, he usually has a list of the things we talked about and says, how about this, this, and this, how are they doing? And then it's like very quick. What do you, but it feels like, I don't know, paint by numbers is what I say. Still a checklist. How's this, 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 and this? Still a checklist, yeah. 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 Do you go to your neurologist alone or do you bring someone with you? Always take somebody with you. Always. That is one big piece of advice. Take somebody with you. Yep. Always. And mm -hmm. I, I even, uh, not only do I have somebody with me, I also have a list of things ready to go. So when it's my turn, I'm like this, 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 and this. And they go, mm -hmm. okay. So I'm not like, uh, yeah, I'm fine. You know, everything's okay. You know, we're not playing around. It's, we have to be transactional. It's gotta be fast. It's a two-way conversation. I want something, they've got something. We need to have a conversation. Yep. Yep. And that's unfortunate, but the way it is. And, and really, you can't really blame the neurologist for this either. Because no. they're just molded of years and years of doing this. They're just molded into a certain way of handling a situation. You know, unless there's a neurologist who's first year, second year, you know, they, they seem to be more human as some people say, but it's not that it's just, it's new to them. Yep. And they're still being molded into, I don't know if that makes sense. I happen to live in an area where it has one of the highest malpractice premiums for the doctor. So that's another thing they have to take into consideration is like how careful. So those checklists are really important because the doctor works for a healthcare system that provides the checklists that gets seen by a board of governors that sends it down. You know, there's so many layers to this that it's almost like the doctors are not even empowered to make these decisions without the checklists formalities. Exactly. That's a good word. Yeah. That's a good word. Empowered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, because, you know, it, it's nice when anybody gets to any kind of doctor and the doctor says, I would like to try something because you know, they're not like just going, like I said, paint by numbers. Mm -hmm. well, that's what mine did. And she said, Laura, would you like to try this? I said, sure. My husband was with me and I said, okay. And not knowing that the pandemic was going to put us indoors for three years or two and a half, three years or whatever. Yet 
it was a good time to do it because, you know, I immediately knocked my white count down and we weren't going out anywhere. So you had to wear a mask. So, but timing, it was timing. So when, when you go see a neurologist about the MRI and if he suggests that you go on some DMT, are you against it or are you going to listen to what he says? And I would go on it again. I'd like to would. go on it again. Okay. This is that Mavenclad is supposed to last or give you a five, seven year type window. So I'm at three years now. Be interesting to know if I would ever get back on it again, if I want to go, I don't know. And just a curiosity question again, I'm sorry, we're kind of jumping back and forth. Mavenclad, did you have to be in a hospital when you took the first dosage? So you took the first dosage at home with no uh, care to make sure everything. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't and know. The much funny about thing is, the drug the drug packaging comes in with a hazmat symbol on it because it's a chemotherapy drug. That's it's what I'm a, saying. It's got That's a hazmat scary. symbol on it, that big yellow and black three sided star. It's got a hazmat on it, and you don't touch it. Don't put it on the counter. Don't don't Jeez. handle it. But so yeah, it's it's very bizarre. You know, Gelenia is another pill form, but you have to take it with them because it lowers your. Uh, heart rate, I think, and it's dangerous. Not dangerous. It just you got to monitor yourself. I, I would think Mavenclad has some sort of risk in the beginning, but I guess it's knock a safe on wood. Thing. I had nothing. I'm part of another Zoom support group with people on Mavenclad, mm -hmm. and I went on Facebook and read about it. And not to dish Facebook, but oh my God, I got so much sad and bad information from Facebook on Mavenclad and I had no symptoms. I, my white count went down, but that's what it's supposed to do. What is this Facebook you called? I'm just joking. Yeah. The place you don't go for to, unless you <laughs> want to hear sad and bad. <laughs> do not go Dr. Google either. No goodness. <laughs> that's for sure. So tell us what you do to reduce your stress. Do you go to these meditations? Do you, what's, what's stress reduction look like for you to combat your symptoms? Fortunately, only in the last few months, six months, have I been able to get back to reading. MS took away my reading ability. So when COVID hit, God, I hit Netflix like crazy. So now I'm going to actually read a book and I love reading a book, any kind of book, murder, mystery, cops and robbers, science. And uh, Terry's holding in his hand the uh, book know, that my know. wife wrote. Let me tell you, I cannot find a single show that's entertaining on Netflix anymore. Laura used to say, hey, check this show. Check. There's no more shows. We have maxed out Netflix for now. So I decided I'm back to watching Mad Men. I'd never watched Mad Men. I'm back to watching Mad Men. <laughs> he told me, I'm like, I don't know if I can get into that, but I got a book that I started reading. It's called The Selfless Life. And it's by someone named Kit Spade, which oh, wow. is partner. She wrote, I know, I know her. <laughs> so wow. it's really interesting. I'm not going to get into it now. Okay. I'm not promoting a book here, but what's it about though, Nick? It is a uh, fictional love story about uh, uh, it's emergency services centered. So it's about two different fire departments um, and uh, it's available uh, through Amazon. You can go on Amazon and search it. Yep. it. The first chapter grabbed me right away. 
uh, I just finished the first chapter. It's really a short chapter. I'm not bragging or anything, but it's actually interesting, man. I can't wait to continue that book. It's, it's, it's the first of four. So if you're a reader, there's three more to come after this. Any true to life stories in there? Um, if I, I'll say that it's loosely based on a lot of things. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> oh, I love that. Loosely. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks for the plug, Terry. <laughs> no. Hi, Jack or show. Awesome. You're welcome, Kit. <laughs> well, this is great. Laura, thank you so much again for being here. It's kind of it was kind of short notice for you too. Ish. Yeah. You told me I was going to be on your list, so I thought that's good. I'll just wait. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you <laughs> for not pushing us. And all the other, I love all the other podcasts. You've actually got me on to listening. The other podcast that I go, I'm plugging is Tripping on Air and Don Marie. Yep. Good. Social Animals is Alex. <laughs> um, yeah. Have you heard of that one? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I no, did. No. I had. I think I did hear about him talking about him. And there's a there's a woman on Instagram. Not the you know now that we're doing all sorts of plugs. Um, there's a woman on Instagram, uh, a hot MS. Um, her name is Brittany Kiros. Um, she is a finalist for the uh, National MS down here. She's a finalist for Advocate of the Year. Um, and she has a podcast called All the Odds, like, you know, like against all the odds. So mm -hmm. it's called All the Odds. Um, I, I hope I, I hope I have that right. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of there's a whole community of people doing just what we're doing, just what you talked about, educating uh what Terry and I are doing, um, dispelling the stigmas. Um, and, I, and I'm sure you've seen a lot of that fall over the decades. It's just the stigma of the diagnosis and the disease itself. I have. And it is awareness, education. People, people used to think, oh, my God, that's horrible. You got this. You're going to be dead in a couple of years. That's not true. It's a horrible everybody lives differently it has lots of really cool medications that help you get through them all and the stigma needs to be sort of erased or not looked at that's why her and i are on the same path it's awareness to me the most important thing is awareness uh, yeah okay you want to donate donate yeah of course that helps don't get me wrong research all that stuff but to me it's awareness number one let the world know what's going on. Speaking of awareness, I think the three of us know a guy who is pretty good in the awareness category. Um, I'm pretty sure he peddled his way across your country. <laughs> I thought he was going to charge me with stalking because I was on his Instagram and his map for five weeks. I met him here in Calgary. Oh, my God. What a cool guy. Jonathan Allinger. Like that was awareness, awareness, awareness. Good that friend was of the show. His message. Yes, I know. I've met him in person and on two other Zoom calls. Yes. Yeah, we're uh, hopefully when things calm down for him and he gets back to you know normal life a little bit, we're gonna have him back on the show so we can talk again. Um, it's it was sure. it's kind of surreal to see our, our our little humble show logo on his big like national website for his stuff. Yes, it was on the on the on the motorhome. Oh my god, I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. That is cool. 
And you were never a stalker. He the support that he got from you, from not only you, is a lot of people. You weren't the only, you know what I mean? But uh he, trust me, he needed it because you know he looked like he was a strong guy, but everyone goes through mental aspects in the middle of their journey. There's always something going on. I still have his picture on my Instagram on my Facebook page of him kissing the cod in in uh, yeah, I saw that. I, right. I have to change that up, yeah. When I went to Newfoundland, everyone was telling me, you got to kiss the cod. You got to be screeched. And I was like, okay, let's do it. No one screeched me. No one made me kiss the cod. I'm upset. I wasn't that special. Well, there it is. The gauntlet has been laid down. Next time you're in Newfoundland, you're going to be hounded by hordes of people with cod in their hand. Damn it. <laughs> Damn it. Is there, any, is there any message you would like to impart onto newly diagnosed people, people who have been diagnosed as long as you have, any message you would want to put out there? Educate yourself, share your story. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Be proud. Someone else, I'm going to coin her phrase. I'm going to take her, her uh, disability proud. Dis disability pride. I forget exactly how she says it, but disability proud. And I'm not proud that I trip and fall or pee my pants or whatever, but I am, I will, yeah, be okay within who you are. Did someone say that in our show? I think she's been on your show. Okay. I think I remember that. Disability mm -hmm. pride or proud. I can't remember either, but you're right. Either works. Either is yes. fine. You're right. One more thing. Any shout outs that you want to give out? Oh, God, we've talked about Nick's wife's book. We've talked about the A-Linker. We've <laughs> talked about all these other podcasts. Who else do you want to shout out to? <laughs> You're right. Any personal thank yous you want to put on into oh the Oh, my universe? God. I, I truly thank. Oh, you're Zoom. welcome. Just joking. I okay. truly thank my Zoom community. And my husband has been very supportive because he knows I got a meeting. My alarm goes off on my phone, which Terry can't stand. It's an owl. When, they, when my alarm goes off, it's an owl. It goes hoots. And my husband supports me in going to these meetings. Oh, you got a meeting. You got a meeting. Who's this? Who's this? And he's met Terry and, and Katrina before. So my husband is incredibly supportive and I sees exactly what's been happening in the last few years and how I feel and how I'm being with these groups and with all zoom has been God sent us. Well, another fantastic show. Awesome start to season two, Laura, thanks for being such a great guest. Can you hear my cat? Yeah, we can hear your cat now. <laughs> I didn't know was I was the start of season two. I thought it was going to be the last of season one. Uh, it's our show. Terry and I decided we were going to change things up. Sweet. Terry, it's good to be back. It's good to be talking. Definitely excited to be back. Can't wait for next week. And we'll talk soon. For sure. So check us out at 40belowzero.com. That's four letter T below zero.com. Or well, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at 40belowzero.com. Our personal Instagram account are, for Nick's, it's Nick's underscore V713. Or for Terry, it's what's underscore MS. Awesome. Looking forward to hearing from you guys. We'll talk soon.